Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning everyone. Wonderful to see you all. It's such a privilege to be here. Um, unfortunately, I haven't let Jacques read through my notes yet, so it might, might be all over the place. I apologize. But it's really, really good to be together. Just if we have not met, my name is Gabe Phillips. I'm married to a beautiful lady called Fiona. We've been married just shy of four years, and we've got a 10-month-old little baby uh, called Olivia Grace. And uh, this morning, I would love to ask you, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians and chapter 3. That's in the New Testament. But before we get there, while you're wrestling in your Bibles looking for that, I'd love just to introduce our new series to you. We're starting a three-week series that's wedged in between Vision Sunday this week and then the two weeks after Vision Sunday. And uh, this series for us is around this idea of, of secrets. And I don't know about you, but I'm a massive fan of secrets. Now, what I mean by secrets is I'm not meaning I'm a, I'm a gossiper or anything like that. But I do love, I love a, a, a good story. I love good news. I love when somebody whispers good news into my ear. For example, uh, a few weeks ago, over the last couple of weeks, we've had a few couples in the church who we've been praying for, who've been battling to fall pregnant. They've fallen pregnant. And they've come and whispered in our ear. I know, it's amazing. It's amazing. And they'll come and whisper in our ear and say, hey, we, 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 we're just keeping on the lowdown for now, but Gabe, we're pregnant. And I'm like, it's one of those secrets where it's like, I just want to tell everyone, but I'm like, I, I don't, don't worry, I'm a vault locked down, I keep it safe here. But my wife and I are one flesh, so I, I tell her most things. So we, you know, the, the good news, we just, just want to tell somebody, just want to tell somebody that, hey, listen, I want to tell you the good news. Like this morning when I woke up and God whispered in my ear, Liverpool will win the Champions League. I just got to tell somebody. Said the FA Cup is small fry compared to what I've got for you, Liverpool. Just prophesying. No, he did not say that, but I, I, can, I can hope. But, you know, when you've got a secret, you want to tell. It's just so good. For like another example for you this morning is sometimes not only good news, it's just the story is so funny or so good that you've got to tell somebody. Well, we're all friends here, right? We're all friends. Safe place? Is it a safe place? Balcony, safe place? I can share some secrets with you, please. But it stays with us. Please, it stays with us here. I went to America recently last year. I was away for a while, and this incident happened. And when it happened, I phoned my wife straight away to tell her the story. And by the time I was halfway through, she was giggling uncontrollably. And I had to say, Fee, you can't tell anyone the story. You can't tell. But knowing that this story was not going to stay with my wife. Just, she's not a gossip either, but the story was so good. And I knew that when I started getting messages from Mark Van Pletsen and the staff, that, that Fiona had not held to this deal of keeping the secret so I thought, I've got to get in before Mark gets an opportunity to tell the story. So I'm going to do it. But this is just for us. Everyone okay? Just a little lean in, lean in. It's a good story. America, we, I was there and I went up to the top of New York State, Ro- Rochester to be specific, which is two hours away from Niagara Falls. And the family I was staying with and visiting different churches and involved in different ministries. But on the Saturday, they took me to Niagara Falls. And it was an incredible moment to see the, 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 the sheer majesty and strength of these waterfalls. But that's not where I want to tell the story, because on the way home that day, it was a two-hour drive in the car with seven other people, and I was packed in the back with the, the other small guy, the other 11-year-old. You know, they put the two smallest guys in the back. And as we were driving this two-hour journey, my thoughts should have been on the incredible experience I just had of Niagara Falls. But unfortunately, the, it wasn't that that was the loudest in my, my, my thought space at that moment, because it had been a few hours earlier that we had eaten, and I hadn't planned on when the next toilet stop would be. I don't know if you've ever had these sort of moments, and uh, as we're driving, you start to, start to squirm in the back, and you're going, don't want to be that guy, but hey, how far are we from home? 
And if you know, you start saying, it's a bit hot in here, hey? <laughs> Who's feeling hot in here? And you start to sweat a little bit. I started to feel like a charismatic preacher in the back, sweating. Someone have a handkerchief, please? So I was like getting a bit excited and nervous at the back. And, uh, and, and just the, the grumbling started to go. So I was like, turn up the music there. Leaning forward. You know, you're leaning forward as if you're interested in the conversation in the front. What do you say? The pained expression on your face. And we pulled into the... Uh, we pulled into the driver after two really excruciating hours, but I thought I'd done well, held it together. And uh, you know when you pull into the driveway and you just there, I saw multiple other cars outside because they said, surprise, we've arranged a whole lot of our young guys to come over and meet the African guy, the African preacher. Yay! So I get in, I thought, hey, listen, I just need to go to the loo quickly. I'm not going to use the, the loo that I had been assigned by my room, which was downstairs right next to the lounge. I just want not wise. You know, I'm a wise guy. Wisdom. Gift of wisdom here. So I said, no, I'm just going to slip upstairs quickly. So I slipped upstairs, locked the door, heard the buzz downstairs, everyone chatting. And so I just, you know, relaxed and, um, yeah, just, you know, as I don't want to, this is church, so I've got to be a bit uh, careful here. But, you know, when the bondage that I'd been laboring under was lifted by the Lord, whew, took a deep breath and thought, okay, now I can go down. It's good. Oh, thank goodness. And I got up and... Uh, and I flushed the toilet, and I was like, why does I wash my hands? I said, that's odd. I didn't know that's how American toilets work. In Africa, the water goes down. Why is it coming up? I didn't know on the other side of the world, this is how it works. Little did I know, this is not how it works. But the water came up and just stopped at the this top of the lid. Just so beautiful. And what followed was the longest two minutes of my life. As you just stand and watch. Shut the lid, open and check. And the sweating returned. As I started to think, what do I do? You know those moments. No one prepares you for this. This is what they should teach you. This, what do you do in these moments? I remember stressing and thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Two minutes went by. I'm not a a plumber, so I didn't really know what to do yet. So I went, um, the first thing I could do was I looked out the door, and there was the 11-year-old boy in his room. I said, Davey, come. Davy, so he came. He was like, "Yeah." I said, "Does this happen often?" He's like, "No." I'm like, "So he says, let's look in the cistern." I'm like, "Good idea. You are sharp. You are sharp." So I lifted the cistern. I don't know what happened. I'm a man of faith, and I saw there was a plug in the cistern. I thought, you know, when you open plugs, it releases the water. Surely, as I say, I'm no plumber, but as I pulled the plug, the water that had settled now came out. The joy was overflowing. I should say. True story. So what happened next was as the water just started to go over the bathroom floor, Davy started going, Dad! Dad! And I just got in the corner. I didn't know what else to do, so I just started to laugh uncontrollably. And I'm like, I, I don't know how you talk your way out of this situation. So the dad came in. He didn't even look at me. He was like, Davy, get the plunger. Davy, get the plunger. And uh, plunging, I was just laughing in the corner, and then until he said, Gabe, get some towels, get some towels. So I was getting towels laughing. I was like, I don't know, what else? It was red in the face. I was like, I just can't do this. So we put towels out, and eventually we got the situation under control. And um, everyone downstairs had gone a bit quiet, because they knew something. Dad was being shouted. What's going on up there? So I was thinking, you know when you think, he went downstairs, and I thought, just, I've got to make my entrance now. And you're debating. They all know something's gone down. They're just not too sure what. I was like, I got it. I just thought, you know, bite the bullet. This is the best way to get introduced to people. Just tell them what happened. So I came in and uh, 
I thought it would have a lot more laughter, and they just looked at me, ha ha, shame, you okay? But um, as soon as that moment finished that evening, phone, I phoned Fiona, and I just, as I said, the giggle started. I knew the the story would not be able to be kept safe because just it's like I go all the way across the world, and this would happen to me. Like, why me, Lord? This is my why me, Lord moment. But I want to ask you this morning, if you could stand to your feet, I tell you that story just to get it out because we are friends. So it's okay, good to tell secrets together. Don't worry, you can tell me yours a little bit later, but please don't judge me. Because we all have those stories. I'm just the only one brave enough to tell them. So just anyway. But we're going to read scripture today because I, I believe this, the, the Word of God is going to open up and reveal its secrets, its mysteries to you and I that the Apostle Paul was writing. And I pray that it will be much more compelling than my story. It will be something life-changing for you and I and that we'll never be the same. Everyone okay with that? Let's read scripture together. It's on the screen. Ephesians 3 from verse 6. It says this. But, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading the good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people. Just before we move on, just very quickly, in my Bible, I've underlined several times the word least deserving. Paul, the apostle's writing, he says, though I'm the least deserving, before we move on, I want to make sure you understand what's going on in this passage. So it's not just some foreign text on the screen. This is flesh and blood reality. The man who's writing this, his name is Paul, the apostle Paul. But why this is so powerful, why he's not using hyperbole to get a point across by saying least deserving. He's not trying to come with false humility. He was the least deserving of everyone to become a Christ follower. Let me tell you why. This apostle Paul, his job before he became an apostle was to was to murder Christians, persecute and murder Christians. You find him as Saul, the artist formerly known as Saul, in Acts chapter 7, presiding over Stephen's death, the first martyr. In chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus to do what? He's not going there for a holiday. He's going there to persecute and hunt down those people who consider themselves part of the way, Christ followers, and kill them. This is Paul's pedigree before he became a Christ follower. The man who says he's least deserving was least deserving because he was a murderer of Christians. I want to just tell you very quickly up front that no one is too far gone for this gospel. No one is too far gone. I don't know who brought you. I don't know why you slipped in or maybe you've been coming for years. I want to tell your heart this morning before we even move on to the next verse. I believe that the darker the case, the greater display for his grace. That God loves to use the foolish things of the world, this world to shame the wise. And God says, if, if you think you're too far gone, I want to ask you a question. Have you murdered Christians yet? If not, you're not too far gone. And even if you have, you're in great company. Paul wrote the rest of the New Testament. No one is too far gone for the grace of God. I want to remind you again, again and again, you and I and our fickle hearts, that our history in Christ Jesus will not determine our destiny. I want to remind you and I to this morning that our backstory will not become the final story in God's economy. Can we be a people who believe that, that what we're doing here is not maximizing sin, I'm maximizing grace. I'm not trying to make it say sin's a, 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 big, a small deal. No, sin is a big deal that someone had to die, but he has died. His name was Jesus once and for all for you and I. Can we, I want us to know that in him no one is too far gone. Is that okay? Let's move on. Though I am the least deserving, if you have a Bible and a pen, underline that several times, the least deserving of all God's people. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. 
I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret. Can you say that word? Say secret. From the beginning. It was God's intent that now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal purpose, which he carried out and accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you are pulling back the curtains of heaven, pulling back the curtains of unbelief in our hearts, of sin, of brokenness, of shame. You're pulling back that veil and you're whispering your mystery, your secret into our heart, the good news that is, was the best kept secret for ages past, but has now been revealed in Christ Jesus. I thank you, God, would you open our eyes to wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? It's really good to be in church this morning. It's a huge privilege to preach. I love the opportunity. Three points from this text that I believe are secrets that if you had to cut me and ask, what are the things that bleed in your heart, what beats in your heart that you want the church to know, the people of God to know, I'd love you to know these three things from this text this morning that I believe the Apostle Paul is driving at. Number one, this is the sort of thing I want you to know. The first secret from this text is this. You have more authority than you know. Psst. You have more authority than you know. Psst. You have more authority than you know. Ephesians 3 verse 10 that we've just read, it says it that way. It says there, now, but now this was God's intent, that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Let me unpack this for you very quickly. In my Bible, this is how I read the Bible. I just read it straight through. And as I saw the words, now God's intent was that now I have circled the word now. Because can I tell you, our human hearts don't understand this reality. We understand it when it's selfishly for our own needs now. But we don't understand in this Christian reality, we often always have these sort of things that linger in our hearts. We say things like this. Not now, but maybe tomorrow when I get my act together. Maybe in sometime in the future when, when I've got it all together, when, when, I've, when I get the promotion, when things settle down in our marriage, when I start to get things under control. After I have, let me, one more fast, one more fast. No, 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 no. The scripture says this. It says, now. This is the now understanding of the gospel. And I want to make this clear as it's the secret of heaven opens up for you and I is that from the moment you turn to Christ, from the moment that his, his breath fills your lungs, from that very moment, from day one, the scriptures tell us, Ephesians 1 verse 3, if you take a note, says, from that moment you have been given, past tense, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. Day one. Can I tell you, Peter goes on, he says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. Day one. Day one, can I tell you, when you come alive to the gospel for the first time, from that moment, Christ puts his Holy Spirit in you, not, a, not in, in, in part, but in full as a guarantee of things to come. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He doesn't break up his spirit because the Spirit is a person. He comes to live in you. Not one day do you graduate to a more experienced Holy Spirit. No, you get the Holy Spirit in fullness day one. Day one, now through the church. I love that now understanding of the gospel. And we have to understand this because from that moment now, Reinhard Bonke puts it this way, the great African evangelist. He says, now when we understand that we get, we understand that we have from that moment, we have omnipotence at our fingertips. 
Oh, I love that quote. It's worth writing down. It's worth writing down. From that moment of the now reality of understanding, when your eyes get open to Christ, from that moment, you have the omnipotence of eternity, omnipotence at your fingertips. I love the scriptures. We just walked through it plainly this morning. Nothing fancy. He says, now through the church. I go through the church as I underline that passage of scripture. I love the fact that the scriptures doesn't say now through a church. It doesn't say that. Through a church, through life changes or through Hillsong or through another church, put whatever church in the blank. No, he's not saying now through an organization. Neither is he saying now, now through a pastor. Neither is he saying now through my ability. No, neither, he's not saying anything like that. He says now through the church. He's not talking about a church. He's talking about the church. The word there is ecclesia. The word that was used in that, the language of the Greek language was ecclesia, which means called out ones. Those who've been marked by a spirit. Here's a quick disclaimer. Just because you come to church, sadly, does not mean you are a part of the church. This is a secret that needs to be no- made known. Attendance doesn't mean anything in the kingdom of God. The only people who are called, the called out ones are those that he has called and called to himself and those who've responded to his call. That's the church. Have you responded to his call today? Have you responded to that call? Now through the church, and I love this fact. When I say, have you responded to his call? He's been calling. Maybe you're here and you're sitting with arms folded going, actually, I'm just doing this to get through to satisfy my spouse, my mother, tick it off, tick or whatever. I want to tell you, God's been calling you. Scripture tells me that he actually, he chose you before the foundation of the earth. This is the secret we need to know. So many of us think that we are so in control of our lives, but little do we know that he has called you and marked you before your birth. Before the foundation of, that's how little control you have in this, sir, man. He is, his eyes have been on you since eternity past. He has seen you and he's called you. And this is the amazing thing that goes on on the other side of that. Romans 8 tells us that all creation waits and groans for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So we've been called from eternity past and all creation is waiting in eager anticipation for us to get this truth, the mysterious plan that's been hidden for ages past, the secret plan of God. They're waiting for the sons and daughters not to go, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll pray for the preacher. We'll pray for the missionary. We'll give money to that thing. No, no, for them to get now through the church. If you look to your left, if you look to your right, that's who he's speaking about. Me, you. Now through the church, the ecclesia, and he goes on and says, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. I mean, let me explain this to you. Paul and commentators, as they wrestle with this, this text, they are just trying to unpack this understanding. They say, what Paul's not getting at here, he says there's two types of, uh, to minimize in a, in a very easy type of way for us to understand. They say there's two types of wisdom that Paul refers to and Scripture refers to of God. The simple wisdom, which is this, God's creative ability. So simple wisdom of God was on display in Genesis 1. When God got up and he said, let there be light, poof, and light exploded out of nothing. When God said, mountains rise, and mountains and Alps and, and Everest, and these mountain ranges came out of nothing. When he said, seas and land part, in this dramatic scene that you probably have seen if you've seen the movie Noah. You know, it's, they do a great description of it. <laughs> Just a thought. But, you know, these amazing things that you can, your mind is, go, is blown by, that out of nothing he created everything. Paul and the, the, the writer say, Ah, simple wisdom. That's simple for God. What they're driving at here is not the simple wisdom. They say the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted, the multi-layered wisdom of God. And what they're trying to understand is they unpack this in other portions of Scripture. It's saying the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus Christ, this manifold wisdom of God that angels long to look into, that they could not fully grasp, that was hid, kept hidden for many years. The manifold wisdom is the power of the gospel that actually that takes dead things and makes them alive. That is the manifold wisdom of God that has been given to the church. And says, now through the church, that wisdom, that manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known through you and I. This thing starts to, starts to get very exciting. And let me give, maybe, let me punctuate this moment with a quick story. I want to tell you, explain this now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known, reality. A few months ago, I was told the story in fullness last week, and it's starting to come to a climax, this whole story. In September last year, a family who were in brokenness and depression, who's, who the, the mother had, uh, had, had years ago married into a Jewish family and had to, had to take up the Jewish religion. And because of that, she had rejected a whole bunch of her family. And then the problem along that journey was that she, um, after a few years, they got divorced and, and, and there was this huge shame and, and the shame was transferred onto her because her husband says, it's not my fault, your fault, you carry the shame of this. Anyway, long story short, she gets remarried they have the, and, and she takes one, uh, one of their kids with her and there's just a lot of ache and pain and, and brokenness in the story and their son is, is really not doing well at school because of all this ramifications in the family. Um, so she suddenly says, actually, not what I need, I need a tutor for my son to help him with his schoolwork. She thinks that the, the biggest need in their lives is a tutor for his son to help with the schoolwork, but God's rubbing his hands going, I want to release my agents of omnipotence. Because now through the church, I want to release what, what the church of Jesus Christ to do something in this situation. So she gets a number of a girl named Mon, uh, uh, Monique who goes to a Milton con congregation. And she's a girl who loves Jesus in, in, not, in greatest respect. Very ordinary girl. Lovely girl, but very ordinary in the natural. What you would just, you, oh, cool, lovely girl. But that's about it. Doesn't walk on water. Doesn't do any of those things. Doesn't do the water into wine thing. Not yet. But she's just very ordinary. Yeah? She gets a phone call through via a friend, via a friend. She ends up going and working for them. She becomes friends with this boy. Starts to, to just love this family and speak life. Nothing dramatic. But just, just little does she know. Because she doesn't understand fully that God goes, she's got more authority than she knows. She pitches up to Tudor. But she's walked in now through the church. Not a church. Not a building. Not a tribe of people, but the people of God who've been called out arrives in this situation. Agents of omnipotence arrive with an omnipotence at her fingertips, starts to speak into dead things, start to shake. As Ezekiel the prophet says, Son of man, look out. Do you see the dry bones start to rattle? Do you start to see them move? And, I, and, I, and the heavens, if we could just see, suddenly these, the dry bones that have been dead for years under guilt and shame start to shake and stir just because an agent of omnipotence has arrived. As she starts to speak, she, they take her on holiday with them. To Thailand. Nice family to tutor for. But anyway. And, and God starts to do something. This scene, she starts to invite the boy. He comes to our youth ministry. And he starts to be loved on by other guys. Some of the youth leaders here. And just he's very skeptical about this. In December, that boy, God, broke in a moment said, now's the time. Woof! His Holy Spirit brings revelation. He sees Christ. He breaks down. Says, he gives his life to Jesus, which is profound. And my God says, ah, I'm not done yet. Not done yet. He goes home and starts to say, mom, mom and to his stepdad, you guys have got to come to this church. You've got to come. There's something here. So they're like, oh, all right, Christmas comes. They're going to come. No, we won't come. But the New Year resolution time, we'll go to church. They came to church two weeks ago, the family. sat at the back while, uh, while good brother Wayne preached there, and they wept through the whole sermon. Wayne was preaching on work. I'm telling you, 
As good as the sermon was, I don't think God was ministering to them about their work in that moment. God was making dead things come alive. Because agents of omnipotence do this. And they start to shake, shake. They, then last week they come to the front and she's just second week in a row, hasn't stopped crying. Beautiful lady just weeping. And she's like, this is weird. I'm sorry. Uh, it's awkward. And the stepdad's like, oh, what's going on? This, I don't know what's going on here. But here they come and say, I think we need to get baptized. So I'm like, that's cool. But what's going on with your wife? And she starts weeping. And she says, actually, there's an ache inside of me. She says, use these words. There's a hole inside of me so big and I don't know how to fill it. And I go, I've heard those words before. Maria once said that years before, and I said to her, I can tell you, I've heard those words before, and I start to see, you know, so in my ears, I start to hear bones start to, and flesh and sinews start to come over bones. As I said, ma'am, your, your need actually right now is not church, it's not this, it's not a new uh, resolution, it's a man named Jesus Christ. And I start to see a woman, I said, can I pray for you? She says, now? I said, now through the church. Now, not another day. You don't need to wait another day. Do I need to go and get my life in order? Do I need to go and fix it? No, no, no. Now, ma'am. Now God wants to do it. And this woman, Jesus has brought salvation to her heart. Dead things have come alive. Can I tell you? And what she said to me then, she goes, she, uh, smiling and beaming, she goes, I thank God that I needed a tutor in September. Come on. Don't you just love that? That God has got his agents of omnipotence. They're working. But little do they know, you have more authority than you know. If you want to understand your authority, how it's exercised, you've been given it. But knowing authority is not enough. We have to exercise it. Doesn't mean we have to do amazing things. We just have to do faith-filled things. Step out. Because if you want to understand, some people will use the word, if you're new to church, I apologize. But the word, oh, he's anointed. Can I clear things up right now? In the New Testament, the word anointed, if you want to know how you are anointed, it's this, obedient. Because we all have the same spirit of God. If you see a man, I will say this way, that if you can be obedient when no one is looking, he will give you favor when everyone is looking. Let me say it again. It's just, that's good. It should be a tweet. If you can be obedient when no one is looking, he will give you favor when everyone is looking. Too many of us are wanting to do big things for God, but God says, actually, just take the step of faith and watch my anointing and authority come. You're more, you have more authority than you know. You have more authority than you know. I almost, feel, I just want to remind us on this point that we are plan A for Cape Town. We are plan A. There's no plan B. There's no, there's no a star over that one saying, and if the church don't do their job, there's a second option. No, no, God says, no, no, no plan B. I've gone all in on my church. I poured my spirit out on my church, on nothing else, on my called out ones. He has invested into you and I, agents of omnipotence, because we're in a war for the souls of men and women. We have more authority than we know. I can imagine him saying this as he paused, as, as, he, as that woman came alive last week, and she thinks, I can now breathe. I'm alive. I've got salvation. Yay. God whispering to his angels, psst, you ain't seen nothing yet with her. I've just begun, and he's pouring his authority into her as she starts to learn who she is in Jesus Christ. Psst, you've got more authority than you know. Point two this morning, for the sake of time, you have more access than you know. You have more access than you know. The scripture that goes with that, verse 12 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We can come boldly and confidently. I, I want to remind us this morning that forgiveness of sins, as how great that is, that was just the means of God's work. The aim of God's work was to get us to the Father. Too many Christians, I, love, I want to unveil the scripture because it's a beautiful thing to rejoice in our forgiveness of sins, but that was not the aim. 
That was the means to get us to the Father. You hear me? 1 Peter puts it this way. It says that Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, once and for all, comma, why? To bring us to God. He has forgiven you not so that you can just be forgiven. He has forgiven you not just so, cool, now you can relax. Don't worry, I've got this. No, He has forgiven you. He says, come up here. Come to the Father. Walk into His presence. Know His intimacy. I've just been pondering on that. I just want to say, we get God. Oh, my word. You've come to church there. I know it sounds like rocket science. We get God. Wow. We get God Himself. Too many Christians don't understand that. Now we get the benefits of salvation. No, no, no. We get Him, the object of our salvation. Let me explain this. Can I do some teaching? Is that right? Very quickly, I'm going to be fast. So if you've got a pen, you might need to take notes here. Genesis 1 starts with this. The heavens and the earth were created together. Okay? Heavens and earth were created together. Not earth, heaven, and never shall they meet. No, together. Genesis account says heaven and earth were created like that, together. And actually, further on, the whole narrative of the Bible is the fact that man's first breath is with the heavenly Father breathing life into him, lying face prostrate over him, breathing life into him. So Adam, Adam, earth's representative, heaven, God's as the representative, are, are birthed together. So we go on, and sin comes, and sin rips these two apart and puts in us a Gnostic thinking that separates, I'm a physical being, and there's a spiritual reality out there, and I'm going to try, and the secret that the world sells us, that it make even books out of it, put our thoughts into the spiritual realm, and they'll come back to you. This Gnostic separation. So much so, but God says his intent was never for these things to live separate. And we start to live with this idea all the way through the Old Testament narrative is earth going, God! Up there. He's out there. He's far. Far removed, and we've got to do rain dances, we've got to do sacrifices, we've got to do something to get his attention so he can come close again. But God's, the, God's plan was never to live in that realm, so much so that Genesis 28, there's a story of a man named Jacob. Just jot it down, go read, you can check what I was saying is true. Has a dream, and the dream that he has, he says, I saw a ladder joining earth and heaven, and angels ascending and descending on it. And I was like, wow, the two are becoming linked. Beautiful language, you're starting to have, but they're so profound. It's in John chapter 1. If you go and see John chapter 1, when Jesus comes onto the planet earth, there's a story. Jesus says this, his own words says this, you will see heaven open, and you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus comes and echoes Jacob's language and says, yeah, you've held on to this fact that there's a ladder. He says, I am that ladder. So much so that Jesus, last bit of exciting news for you this morning in, in, in a rapid fire, is that Jesus, the word we understand about Jesus, why this theology is huge, of his hypostatic union. Hypostatic union meaning that he came fully God and fully man because he came as the heaven representative and the earth representative. Heaven and earth. Ephesians 1 verse 10, if you want to go read it at home, says this. says, God has brought everything under heaven and earth together in Christ Jesus. What does this mean for you? I'm getting chills preaching this. I'm like, ah, this is good stuff. What this means is, I don't know about you, in the practical, there's some moments you go, I feel close to God. Maybe in worship, or you got that song, or just there's a, a moment where you're like, wow, God, you're close. And then there's moments when I feel far, I've sinned, or I've, I just haven't been in, in, in walking with Jesus closely, and I feel far. Let me tell you, 
the nature of our God, because of Jesus Christ, there's no separation in him. So much so, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Here's the understanding even more. Scripture tells us in this one, says that through Christ and his faithfulness, we can enter through with boldness and confidence. Through what? Christ and his faithfulness and faith in Christ. Other translators say his faithfulness. Through Christ. And can I tell you, he has not changed his position. He is still our man in glory. He is still the, the seat of the right hand of the Father, the Son. The heaven and earth representative still is Christ. It's not you and I. He is still our only mediator. And because of that, heaven and earth have become our reality. Some of you might be lost in this moment. Let me give it this way. The scripture says this. It says, the kingdom as it is at hand. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. And my, or my thinking has always been, it's at hand, meaning it's close. It's coming. It's like a timeline. No, no. The kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's here. Now, it's not out there. It's not to be attained one day. If I really get good, here's the secret. Psst, you have access to heaven now, here on earth. So much so, and the, your access is not your good works. It's not your ability to pray. It's not your ability to fast even. or to, It's actually, he says, will you trust me as the mediator who brings heaven and earth together? Quick story there. It's a great story. When I was a little boy in Zimbabwe, the Proteas came to watch cricket at the Harare Sports Club. Sean Pollock, Daryl Cullinan, the good old days, John T. Rhodes, and uh, with myself and a whole bunch of other young guys, we stood with our little miniature bats trying to get signatures over the fence uh, as they came into the change room. And um, we were there, I was there every day, five days of Test Match cricket trying to get Sean Pollock's autograph. That was the dream, you know? Me and him, you know? Brothers. And, uh, and what happened, there's a whole throng of us, oh, please, please, and they walked by, one or two would get lucky, oh, they took my bat, oh, what about me? And uh, then the one day, what's, there was a moment, it started to rain, at the, and, and, and they all came off the play, and the players all went through to get undercover, and I had been at Harare Sports Club quite a few times, I knew the ins and outs of this place, so I knew if you go round the pavilion, there's a little us ducky there, you can go and lurk there and stay dry. Little did I know that as I came around that corner, a little scrawny redhead to stay dry, who was hanging out there was Sean Pollock, was cleaning his pads, or I don't know what he was doing at the time, that around that corner, and Sean Pollock saw the red hair, and saw a scrawny washed up rat, I don't know what he saw, but he felt compassion, and Sean Pollock said, hey, 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 man, come on, hang out here, come around, why don't you come around into the change room, come hang out with us, no word of a lie, so I remember coming around the front entrance, Sean Pollock saying, come now, he's with me, and I'm walking like this, and seeing all the other lighties, Went in there, just to, just this, got no point of the story, but Daryl Cullen was playing table tennis on the physio table. Anyway, just the thoughts. And I sat in there for a little while, just awestruck with my heroes. The whole point of the story was, I got access not because I was this amazing guy. I got access because I'm with him. I'm with him. You have boldness and confidence. You have access to God. You get God because of Christ and your faith in him. You, uh, in the morning when you wake up, this is how practical it is. When you wake up, the enemy says, you can't approach God. You can't ask him. You can't come and say, God, I want to come and seek you because I'm feeling like I've sinned too much. Or last night really wasn't a good night. No, from that moment, now you have access to him, not because of your good works. The enemy will say, hey, but you, you've fallen short. You say, yeah, but it's not my ability to do this. It's his. I'm with him. I'm with him. Psst, you have more access than you know. Thirdly and finally this morning. You have more authority, you have more access. But here's the thing. I wanted to stop at verse 12, but the stanza finishes in verse 13. It will cost you more than you know. I wanted to stop at verse 12, but I thought that's not fair. That's not honest biblical preaching. 
Because I love that last, almost this like, ah, last verse in that stanza. Paul says this. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. The word suffering and trials gets into this glorious passage. I'm like, ah, why? I don't like those two things. Yes, the, the dichotomy of the situation is Paul is preaching the, the mystery of the universe that has been hidden for centuries, that angels have longed to look in, that people, the prophets and them, just only saw in part. They could not quite grasp the manifold wisdom. He says, now through the church, you've more authority, you've more access. Paul's writing this from a prison cell. He's not writing this from his spiritual retreat, the top of a mountain. You have more authority than you know. No, 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 no. He's writing it from a grimy prison cell where he's been stripped and beaten, and he's got a little pen and parchment, and he's and he's and he's he's writing this to the church in Ephesus to put courage in them. And he says, "So don't worry." Basically, he's saying, "This is exciting. This is what your your what is there, but it'll cost you everything you got. It's free, but it'll cost you everything." I, I want to tell you that he's not, what I'm trying to do this morning, and Paul's not trying to do, he's not trying to whoop us up in the charismatic Kool-Aid. Come on, you can do it. You're the best you you can be. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm saying you've got more authority. You've got more access because of Jesus, but I'm gonna, it's going to cost you everything. Any other message that says it's light and fluffy and easy and will take no stress and no strain and there'll be no moments of pressure and persecution is not true biblical preaching. Because Paul, tradition tells us, the guy who wrote this incredible truth that God entrusted, died by having his head chopped off. Most of the disciples, bar one, came found their deaths in terrible ways under persecution. The guys who walked close with Jesus. The man, John the Baptist, the man Jesus said, there is no greater man born of woman. John the Baptist. What a thing to say. No greater man born of woman. This man is incredible. John is this incredible guy. He says, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. He sends his disciples. He's this incredible guy, amazing man, does amazing things. But what happens while Jesus starts to preach and his ministry starts to take off, John starts to peter out a little bit and actually falls, fall, uh, falls foul of Herod. He gets, John the Baptist gets thrown in prison. And John the Baptist is sitting there and he's like, suddenly all of a sudden self-doubt comes. He's like, is Jesus really the one? I've gone all in on Jesus and now I'm in prison. Surely it's not supposed to go like this. So John sends word to Jesus saying, Jesus, after saying all these big things, I must decrease, you must increase. And it's amazing. So he sends word to Jesus and saying, Jesus, are you really the one? Just want to make sure. Basically saying, is it worth it? And and you know what Jesus replies? If you go read it in the the Gospels as account, Jesus replies with a, 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 a prophetic word from Isaiah, which Jesus says, tell John, because John would know the prophetic words from Isaiah, the one who prophesied about him, said, Jesus is saying, tell John that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the, 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 the lepers are being, uh, being cleansed, and he says, and the, and the dead are coming back to life. Now, the thing is, if you, and he says, tell John that. So go tell John that. But it sounds amazing. So Jesus basically is saying, I am the one. The problem is, Jesus doesn't finish the quotation of Isaiah. There's one little part of Isaiah he leaves out. He says, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, and the dead are coming back to life. If you read the rest of the comma, it says, and the prisoners are being released. He doesn't say that to John. It's profound. It's the one part. Did Jesus forget that quotation? No, no, Jesus was saying, John, I'm the one, but you're going to die in there. They're saying, it's going to cost you more than you know. 
Now, what I'm not, I'm not saying is re- push us into persecution mode. Not, I'm not saying, now go into your bunkers and wait till the end. Stock up on cans of tuna. Going to make it through. No, no, no. I'm saying we've got to get out there. But here's the thing I am saying. I think there has to be a few deaths to us in our hearts. Death to respectability. Death to being understood. Death to trying to control people's response. I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, there is a responsibility on you and I to carry this authority, to utilize this access. It's going to cost you everything you got. I want to ask you the, the theme of our fast. How hungry are you? How hungry are you? He's leaning in towards you. Will you lean in towards him? You see, the fact is Colossians 1 verse 27, one of my favorite scriptures says this, Paul in the same vein, writing to a different church, says this, this is the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He sums the whole thing up. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. You have more authority. Christ is in you. You have more access. Christ is in you. You have more responsibility. Christ is in you, but he wants out. He did not come to make you comfortable because comfort and calling are not good bedfellows. If you want the call of God, you have to give up comfort. There's no option of the both in the Christian walk. I land with this. It's Ephesians church. It's the church in Ephesus gets the secret, the thing that there's more authority, that there's more access. They'll cost them everything. And the, the, the church in Ephesus, I can rem- they responded well initially. But the book of Revelations in chapter 2 gives us insight of how this church finished. Years later, the apostle John has says this revelation, writes to the, the church in Ephesus, another letter, and says, this is what God is saying to you, saying, I see your good deeds. I see you've started well. I see your good hearts. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. That's why he writes the next letter to the church in Ephesus after this one, was this one that we read of. You've forsaken your first love. And that church in Ephesus is no more. I want to ask you a question. Where is your heart in this thing? This morning, we're going to land with a time of communion. And I believe God is wanting to pour His Spirit on us and awaken hearts to the authority we carry, awaken hearts to the access we have that we get God, and awaken our hearts to responsibility to walk this out, to actually say, it's going to cost me everything, but I want Him. I want Him at any cost. It's stirring in my heart. It's beating in my heart. I want to invite you to this, but not to a rah-rah response, not to a chest-beating moment, not you are, let's do this, three, two, one, let's get out there moments. No, 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 agents of omnipotence. I'm saying, will you come to your first love? Will you come to Jesus? And maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, or today, he's, he's not my first love. And what I mean by first love is mean ultimate love. Seek first the kingdom. Maybe he's here and you, today and you're saying, other things have become my first love. My spouse, my family, my addiction, my brokenness, my guilt, my uh, thing that I think about and obsess about. What you worry about, you worship. What's your first love? I want to ask you in this moment, can we come to the table and say, Jesus, I'm seeking my first love. And I believe as we do, as we are people who come to him with that heart, we'll see people, agents of omnipotence, who walk in authority, access, and greater responsibility like never before. Let's pray. Father, before we come up for communion this moment, I pray for every heart here. I thank you, Jesus, that hearts are stirred in this moment. Stirred by the great call of Christ, the upward call of Christ Jesus, 
But I thank you, Father God, ultimately my prayer is that they would know you. They would know you, the lover of their souls. They'll know you, the one who pursues them, the one who loves them, the one who has uh, great things for them, the one who has laid down his life for them. I thank you, Jesus. This is not in us. It's in you. Right now, in this moment, before we respond with communion together as a family, if you today are saying, actually, Gabe, I don't know. I come to church, but I don't know if I'm part of the church. I don't know if I'm part of the called out ones. Gabe, I'm here today, and I, I, I maybe have walked away, but today I'm repenting and turning back to the fact that God has never left me and saying he is my first love again. If that's you, I want to say sometimes faith is stirred, but faith is, has to be acted on in obedience by responding. If that's you today and you need me to pray for you in this moment, say, I'm coming back into the will of God for the first time or the hundredth time. If that's you, I'd love you just to raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So it's a faith response. It's awesome. It's awesome. Father, I pray right now as these hands are lifted up to heaven, not to me. That's also not to get your attention. It's just to surrender to your attention. I thank you, Father God. Your eyes are upon them. You say, my eyes are on you. My heart is for you. I am with you. In this moment, Father God, as they say, I surrender. It's going to cost me everything. Thank you, Father God, as we make that trade, as we say, I go all in on Jesus, we find it's not a trade at all because we win so, so much more. I pray for this gospel to take root in hearts, bring strength to hearts, to heal hearts this morning.